What's going on? They didn't play the theme song. There's an episode this week, even though there was one last week? Is that just Mitchell I hear and not James? All of these questions will be answered by the next sentence I say. This is the mid-jump. Mid-jump is something that I'm going to now put in between Super Jump podcast episodes. They come out every two weeks, so um, in between episodes six and seven, for example, which this mid-jump is, um, I'm going to be putting out this on that Wednesday, which is why you're hearing it now. When I first pitched the Super Jump podcast to James, I envisioned it being a weekly show that we could do. Um, it, It just became very apparent in the planning stages of the podcast that James would be unable to do it every week with a, a good amount of consistency. He's a very busy guy. He has his own full life, um, and, and uh, not to mention the fact that he's doing all of the aspects of Super Jump magazine that aren't the podcast as well. It's a big, it's, it, it's a big ask of him. On the flip side, I'm not doing much at, at all. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly not busy. And I thought, hey, you know, between the weeks where James and I are able to record the Super Jump podcast talk show that you've come to love after six episodes, I can put out something of my own. Just a little a little sampler. The Super Jump podcast talk show is going to have kind of a formula to it. it um, for example, we always do the extracurricular activities at the end of the episode. We always uh, kind of have one thematic topic bringing us all the way through the episode, a mid-jump can be anything that I want it to be, or that you want it to be. If you have a suggestion for a mid-jump topic for me to go record something, I'll I'll do it. Send any suggestions you have to podcast at superjump.online. Basically, in addition to that, you can also watch this space, the the mid-jump space, for things like interviews. Um, if I just want to record an interview with, with someone, I want to be able to do it as soon as I can. Um, the two-host format of the Super Jump podcast is great, but if I have to, if I get Hideo Kojima on the line and he's like, "Yeah, let's do an interview right now," I need to be able to do it, and I can't call up James. James is in a in Australian time zone. That's not going to work out. We're we're never going to be synced up on that. So that can be a mid jump. Uh, it's not less important necessarily. It might be less important. Uh, it just is kind of how it is. In retrospect, our interview with Heil Russell might have been a good mid-jump instead of a, a regular Super Jump podcast. Or if I ever have to record something in the field, like maybe E3 or something like that, I, I can just bring a small recorder with me and, and, and it can be a mid-jump. So without further ado, I give you the first mid-jump. It's a conversation between me and my friend Jeff Onan. It's a retrospective of an article which you should be able to read today on superjump.com. The article is called A Mitch Pitch for Switch Pokemon Champions. Pokemon Champions being the name of a Pokemon game that I pitch in that article. I'm talking to Jeff about it because Jeff helped me design the pitch a little bit. Um, So have fun with the show. If you liked it more than the other episodes, or you liked it less than the other episodes, um, that's fine. You are under no obligation to listen to this one if all you want to do is listen to the Mitchell James talk show episodes. 
Um, but I would like to hear feedback. So you can you can submit an iTunes review. You can send an email to podcast at superjump.online, and I'll get all of that. So thank you. Have a great mid-jump. Hi, this is Mitchell Wolf, and welcome to the first mid-jump, the full-featured special thing I'm doing between episodes of the Super Jump podcast. Uh, this week, I have a very exciting thing for me. I don't know if it's going to be exciting for you. Honestly, I, I have no idea how anyone will react to this. Um, I'm here with Jeff Onan. Hey, Jeff. Hey, that's me. To talk about an article I wrote for Super Jump. Now, I, I wrote this in conjunction with Jeff. It is a pitch for a new Pokemon game. Um, if you go on Super Jump right now and, and you search... Um, it, well, if you search on, on medium.com, a Mitch pitch for Switch, colon, Pokemon Champions, this is what we're talking about. It, it was a very, very long article. Uh, medium tells me it's a 40-minute read. Which, Oof. sorry, by the way. <laughs> that that doesn't include time staring at the pictures. Yeah. Uh, it, so 40 minutes. And, and it, it's it's a pitch for a new Pokemon game. A new mainline Pokemon game. And as long as it took to write that, and it took a long time to write it, probably more than it should have, honestly. Um, it took even longer, or not even longer, but it took an additional amount of time for Jeff and I to bounce ideas back and forth and and plan it. Um, so so Jeff, just first of all, thank you so much for being part of that process. It, it was a huge deal, huge help. Yeah, well, I, you know, it, it was fun. I was really actually just honored to be invited to to talk to you about Pokemon for a while, and I enjoy doing it. So, yeah, thanks. Well, great to hear. Um, so Pokemon Champions. If you haven't read the article, um, Jeff, actually, why don't you give a little rundown just of, of what the main idea of the game is for people? So basically, I guess my understanding of, of, of what we come, came up with was um, taking a Pokemon game uh, for, the, for the Nintendo Switch and accentuating the strengths of the series, uh, but fixing some of the flaws and kind of adapting the series to the new hardware that is the Nintendo Switch. Uh, one of the biggest changes, and, and to me, what I think is probably the main drive of the game, is that the typical structure of the campaign, which was previously about uh, collecting gym badges, has been replaced with a, a tournament, a sort of tournament of champions that is going to be unique to your adventure uh, because the, the different characters in the tournament are sort of randomly generated and then their uh, relationship to you as the player character is based upon, upon your interactions with them during the campaign. And some things like that that uh, I find to be a pretty compelling mechanic that uh, has been missing from the, at least missing from the video game series, but possibly, you know, present in the anime um, that you were br uh, bringing to the to the core gameplay of the of the games. 
Right. Um, I, I've always thought of Pokemon as really weird when viewed among its peers as like franchises that are represented in Super Smash Brothers and commonly thought of as under the Nintendo umbrella because it, it has a very un-Nintendo-like design philosophy to it. Um, and that's that's not great because the design philosophy is that's usually what Nintendo kind of nails. Um, and and Pokemon just doesn't have that. A, a lot of the newer games in the series, uh, their, their cool new thing that they're bringing to the table um, is a lot of spectacle, which I don't think is, is something to, like, scoff at at all. But I think it can be so much more. The, the series means a lot of things to a lot of people. And, uh, and, and to kind of reduce that to just saying okay now charizard can evolve again be excited it is i i don't know it, it, it's weak a little bit to me um right right and yeah. i i think part of what you've done is is taken advantage of the the hardware jump mm-hmm. that i mean this is an unprecedented hardware jump in the history of the main series of games uh obviously there have been console versions of pokemon uh you know pokemon Coliseum or, or Pokemon XD and whether you would consider those to be part of the main series or not is up for debate but to go from Pokemon Sun and Moon on the 3DS uh, to the next Pokemon game uh, the next main Pokemon generation or whatever whatever it is, right. it's going to be on the Nintendo Switch which is a, is a massive uh, leap and I think it's a good time to take advantage of that leap and really shake up the formula and take advantage of the hardware and, and, and um, propel the series forward, sure. which is something that you could argue they haven't really done for generations. Definitely true. Um, if you think about it, the, the 3DS to the Nintendo Switch might be the largest jump in hardware in any console generation that I can think of. Um, portable or home console. I I'm, I can't even, I can't think of an example where the the difference in technology is as big as from the 3ds to the Switch, going from a 240 resolution screen with really crude 3D elements to a full HD console is is pretty crazy. Um, right, and and, yeah. and to think that they would take that leap and just release another iterative you know example of, of what we're pretty used to at this point it would be kind of disappointing if that's what they did and they probably will do but we've uh, we've provided an alternate route for them if they would want to take it uh not that i've actually pitched the article to game freak or anything but it's on the internet they, they they'd have the internet probably right i, I assume game so. freak game freak has the internet good good to know yeah. um Okay, so let's let's just uh, let's talk about the game we created. Uh, something that was entirely your idea, and, and probably one of my new favorite parts of the game uh, is how versions work. So versions, um, you know, Pokemon games usually come out in two versions: red or blue. Ruby or Sapphire, X and Y, etc. 
but when you put it on a home console, things get a little bit tricky. The problem that we ran into is that most people just treat home consoles differently than handheld consoles, uh, mostly because they're more expensive and also take more real estate on, uh, like, plugins to the TV and all that. So, up till now, Pokemon games were in a position where if you're a family, if, if you're a family with, with multiple children, you can just, um, you, you, you can just buy each kid uh, a 3DS or a Game Boy Advance or whatever, and each of them get a, po a copy of Pokemon. And that, that's where a lot of the coolness of having multiple versions of the same game came into play. You know, you could have one universe where you're encountering Vulpix and the other where you're encountering Growlithe and wanting both of those is what encourages the kids to trade and in, in, in battle and stuff. And it's not only siblings, but I think siblings are a big part of that. Um, on, on a home console like the Nintendo Switch, or something that is at least treated like a home console, which the Nintendo Switch may be, I think it's a little still, it's still a little early to tell. Um, you only buy right, one console. It, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you're, if you're only buying one console, you're probably also only buying one copy of the game. And if you're buying only one copy of the game and everyone in the house wants to play it, if there's multiple versions, all of a sudden every person in the house has chosen the same version. Which I think is is possibly lame, possibly cool. It depends on how you view it. Um, but I, I, I thought it was problematic, and it would it would have been short-sighted to do it the exact same way. So why don't you explain the, the, the fix we came up with? Right, so basically we figured rather than releasing multiple retail versions of the game uh, with exclusive content and, and, and whatnot, uh, we would put the different versions, um, so to speak, all on one cartridge right. and basically when you create your profile at the start of the game uh, you would choose the the version of the game that you'd like to play and if that was the case we're not going to release multiple retail editions then there was no reason to restrict ourselves to only two versions a, a and a b you know red and blue mm -hmm. and it actually kind of had a better symmetry to it a better flow if if you extended that out to three different versions um right and for and from there we sort of evolved to uh to tying it in to um the the pokemon go uh team affiliations mm -hmm. which would be team mystic team valor team instinct this is part of the pitch that I, I didn't really have in my mind at all before i contacted you about it i i did have the tournament thing pretty planned out before uh we started doing this but this this whole team thing totally changes the game um i think it it's brilliant it creates a reason for players to play online because you can you can play for your team you don't want to let your team down it's essentially like the way that teams were done in pokemon go it's the same teams by the way it's valor mystic and instinct um, and you can compete for those teams by just doing things. There's, there's a Splatfest-like, is what we've called them, challenges. And 
all the time where those teams are pitted against each other and and ranked in their ability to do different things and how well they do in those challenges affect the universe i think that's really cool um right so yeah i mean it's it's to me it's compelling because it combines the social online aspect of choosing a team and then competing online with your team but it combines that with the version exclusive nature of the game world where not only is person who who chose you know red team not only are they associated with a social group but they're also playing a different game yeah to you know and and then to experience the full game they have to have a social element of trading and battling and interacting with players from the opposite team and and i like the way that those two elements mesh uh by by combining them that way i think it could extend players playtime as well um because there's going to constantly be downloadable challenges that you can participate in uh you have you keep having a reason to come back to the game week after week after week uh where Pokemon is known to a lot of people as as a franchise that just has games that you beat you beat once and then you put it away and then you you wait for the next one to come out. Um, and and that's not what I wanted this game to be so much. So I'm 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 glad that's the way it is. Um, another another uh pretty big aspect of the game that we planned together was the rival system. Uh. Again, do you think you can take us through that one? Um, so, yeah, basically, uh, we both kind of felt, and this was something you had brought up, but we both felt that the one of the most compelling aspects uh, thematically and plot-wise in the Pokemon franchise is your rival. Yeah. Um, obviously, you, you have opponents that you have to beat, whether they be the gym leaders and the Elite Four, etc., but... Really, the, the main constant throughout your adventure is you have a rival, and it, it, it's a really compelling um, player, you know, a non-player character in the game that is constant throughout the game. Uh, it gives you a compelling reason to improve every time because they're always a hard challenge, but also just it, it puts a face to the challenge and it makes them someone you 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 either hate them or, or you really want to beat them. And of course, they're the the final opponent you have after the Elite Four. So rivalries are important in Pokemon um, lore or Pokemon plots, but what you've kind of done here is with the tournament structure, you kind of uh, create your own rivalries. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily have one rival who the game preordains to you like, hey, this guy is the jerk that you have to hate. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and some of the Pokemon games do kind of... Uh, play with the rivalry thing with by having multiple rivals or um you know i think pokemon black and white sort of had all all three of the hometown you know starter characters interact with each other throughout the adventure that yeah. you yeah, and, and two others um but what you've done is so so with the tournament you have 15 npcs that you are going to consistently compete against throughout the game mm-hmm. and your interactions with them will kind of create rivalries or friendships. Yeah. Um, we, we've talked about this a number of times in the past. Um, 
we we both have come to the conclusion that the the coolest aspect of the story of Pokemon when they don't bungle it is um it, it is the sports story aspect of it like the 1990s and or 1980s sports movie aspect of Pokemon just wanting to be the the very very best like you know the, the theme song says that you do um the way that that can propel someone forward is really cool and i i think a lot of pokemon games have neglected this aspect of it they've kind of just they they've thought my assumption is that they've thought that that isn't compelling enough just like you just want to be good for the sake of being good that's that's not enough so you need to layer it on top of if you don't this bad guy will take over the world or your friend will be endangered or something like that um and and that's that's not special anymore to me that reduces a lot of the cool uniqueness that pokemon brings to the table an example that that I'd bring up is uh, I wa- I just recently rewatched a, like the first season or two of the Yu-Gi-Oh anime, and so Yu-Gi-Oh they the, all the characters come to this island to compete in this uh, Yu-Gi-Oh dual dual monsters tournament. Mm-hmm. Every single character has a tragic, you know, backstory. Like if I don't win, my grandmother's not going to get the operation she needs. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that, that, that is a little cliche, but then when you hear it from like 16 different people and they're like, if I don't win, my father won't be proud of me and he won't come back from traveling the seas or whatever, you know? And then, and then the father comes back and he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm proud of you always, you know, it, it's just kind of, <laughs> you know, it's cliche and you don't need that. I think what we would rather accentuate is just player to player, or, or player to non-player um, relationships. It doesn't have to be based on a, a, a cliche backstory and um, a, a villain that wants to control time and space. There's there is compelling uh, interactions that, yeah. and and what makes them is what makes them compelling is that they are unique to your your copy of the game. They're unique to the actions you've taken. Yeah. So every time you play through it, 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 it should, unless you do everything exactly the same, it should be different every time. Um, which which I am am pretty excited about. I would love to play that Pokemon game. I think it would be great to right. stream on Twitch. Um, like, just see, oh, this is what this guy's whole thing is. Because that's going to be complete, especially if it's late game, that's going to be completely different than what I'm doing right now. Um, yeah, so one of the first things that we're going to talk about in this episode, uh, of uh, first things about the article that I don't like or that I wish I could have done better, um, it has to do with the rivals. Um, I wanted to find a way that I could explain in a reliable way how the personalities for the rivals are generated um i i had envisioned kind of a random set of personalities and character traits that would be thrown onto certain participants in the tournament that you go to um to to make all of your rival opportunities different every time you play the game 
but I also kind of just wanted certain characters to be the same way they are all the time. So I, I couldn't strike a balance. So I just didn't describe that part. I left it out of the pitch. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think that when you have 15 NPCs to work with here, um, you, you definitely, in my opinion, have room for both. You, you do have room to have some constants, and, and I think that having some constants is actually interesting because it allows some something you can relate to when you compare your adventure to your friends. Yeah. You're you're gonna you're not just gonna contrast how wildly different it has turned out, but you're also gonna be able to 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 relate a couple points that happened the same between them both. Um, I think that one subset of the rivals or or of the uh, competitors is the fact that uh, uh, you at the start of the game are choosing a starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as always, um, and you and I decided that the the number of starters would bump from uh, from three to five. Right. With uh, a lot of things in this game, we've uh, raised the number of options for every choice, like the number of versions from two to three, or the number of rivals from two or three to fifteen. Uh, we've also in- increased the number of starter options. Uh, from three to five, and they are the familiar ones: Charizard or Charmander, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle, but also Pichu and Cleffa. Um, just because I, I I think those are iconic enough Pokemon, especially. Um, I, I mean, Clefable is kind of kind of uh, the one man out in that situation between Charizard, Blastoise, Venusaur, and Raichu. But Clefable has actually been pretty killer lately in the competitive scene. And uh, I, I threw Clefable in as kind of a reference to them as the competitive scene. Um, right, and, and representing the fairy typing, which right. I think is, is as good a choice of typing if you're going to pick only five types to represent very makes sense to me but but when it comes back to the rivals i think one thing i always wanted out of a pokemon game that always bothered me was so i pick one of three starters Mm -hmm. obviously obviously my rival is going to pick one of three starters and and by you know not not by accident he always picks the one who has a type advantage over you um but the third pokemon sits in a pokeball on professor oak's desk and and even in, in the anime, it bothered me that, you know, we know that Ash didn't get any of the three starters. He ends up with a Pikachu just because he was late to the to uh, his appointment. Um, I think showing us the characters that picked up those other starters that you didn't choose uh, is compelling. And it automatically creates some sort of connection between two otherwise random characters. So in in your game, in, in this game, there's actually five characters uh, that are going to be tied together by the fact that they got one of these five starters. Absolutely. And then, right. And, and maybe that is the area where you draw the, uh, the constants from. Maybe some of these characters have more set-in-stone uh, personalities 
that will be constant across games. Um, whereas the other uh, 10, the other 10 random NPCs uh, in the tournament are going to be a little more open-ended or, or a lot more open-ended depending, you know, whatever you want to do with it. But that I find compelling. Yeah. So I, I've, uh, I've, I've looked into that a little bit. Um, so if, if you check out the article, there is one rival who I actually did go into explaining. Um, she's Violet Oak, who, um, I, I don't think I explained like if she's, you know, related to Professor Oak and, and Blue Oak or anything, but she is from Kanto. So probably, um, and she is one of she's one of the few rivals that definitely will be the same every time um she she's a cold and calculating trainer um very standoffish kind of person um and and she's scripted to win the first tournament um we should explain the tournament system the you and the 15 other participants in the tournament the the possible rivals um you're just going to compete against each other in a tournament. And the winner of the tournament, at the end of the tournament, goes into a room and comes out and is sad. And then the they say, okay, we're doing another one. And you're going to keep doing it until you win the tournament. You go in the room, find out that there's a battle with the person who set up the tournament. You win that battle. You win the game. If you can do it the second time you visit the tournament... You win the game after two tournaments. Um, if right. you can and, do it and, the sixteenth time, it takes that much longer. Right, exactly, and and so that kind of gives the game um, a bit more open-ended feel. In that uh, these tournaments are happening at each, you know, look, they're moving locations, and they're sort of like um, like a mandatory checkpoint kind of main quest, but you kind of decide what you do between those. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you can run off to the side and, and prepare for that tournament in whatever way you want to, sort of like how in, in Legend of Zelda, The Breath of the Wild, um, in, in theory, you could challenge Ganondorf very early in the game and quote-unquote beat the game. Uh, obviously, you're not going to uh, win uh, that early, but... But it, the structure of it, the structure of it is sort of similar. Right. Yeah. Um, it. I. I think the thing that is the most similar about those two, these two games, is that, um, the the end of the game, is whenever you want it to be. Uh, whenever you feel ready enough to do it, that's when it is. Um. And, and the way the tournament works is is that there's a level cap. So if you have Pokemon over level 50, they will be brought down to level 50, much like it works in, in online play. So you can't just over-level your Pokemon and, and surpass the goal that way. You can't just grind until you're too powerful. You actually need to consider some strategic elements of team building. Excuse me, team building and competitive Pokemon play. Right. And the other thing that makes it uh, even more difficult is the fact that um, your your challenge at each step of the game is not going to be a elemental based team like the gym structure yeah. where you approach the gym 
and you find out, well, this gym is all ice Pokemon, and you know right away my winning strategy is nothing more than choosing Pokemon whose moves are uh, super effective against ice type Pokemon. That's, you know, and then you do that from gym to gym. In this game, all of your challengers are going to have, you know, a range of moderate to to more difficult, uh, well-composed, variable team structures right. that are going to be based on competitive play. Something I'm really proud about is the way that we waited until we knew what the tournament was mechanically. Like, we, we knew that we didn't want these people to be, like, gym leaders and just have all of one type. Um, and then we we waited until after that to explain it using story. And the, the story element is, of it is that every one of these rivals is uh, a representative of a different Pokemon region. Um, gameplay first, right? Like, the, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of us for not just jumping into, what story do I want to tell here? Um, and, like, we, we designed the... Uh, the mechanical narrative before the the story narrative so that's cool i think that's the way to right. go right on the on the flip side um for me a lot of the motivation in in uh when i was helping you with this and discussing my, my personal ideas um basically a lot of my motivation in thinking about what would make a good pokemon game comes down to the idea that uh a pokemon game as a simulation of the experience of being in the Pokemon world mm-hmm, and sure. being a Pokemon trainer. And so I think that um, part of that is the open-endedness and uh, and all that stuff has a real gameplay and mechanical-driven um, you know, strength to it, but it also comes down to the fact that, that the rigid linear structure of past games... Uh, for me, is conflicted with the simulation nature of, of what what you want a Pokemon game to be. In in, sure. in reality, you you want the, a open ended experience, and you want more uh, character driven experience um, uh, interactions and and uh, yeah, it's building like up Ruby and re- relationships. How you uh, are given the opportunity to start doing Pokemon contests. But then the game doesn't just let you win the game by playing Pokemon contests. So what was the point of that? You know, like, you're not letting me be that aspect of a trainer that you're presenting. So it's kind of like a fake, almost a fake out in terms of role playing. Right. And and, and there are little aspects. A lot of it for me comes back to the anime. Uh which maybe is not the right way to design a game, but I think that it is a good way to, to draw inspiration is that I think that when you create an anime based on a game, you take these sort of rigid and linear and gamey, gamey type concepts that don't really make sense in a real world. And then you try to create a world like the anime that is more, you know, worldly and less sure. gamey. And, and some of those aspects include the fact that uh, the Pokemon league tournament is a mixture of uh, allies and adversaries that Ash encountered over the course of a whole season uh, of real built-up relationships with these people, and then he saw a lot of them again in the tournament at the end of the season. And I think that's something we wanted to simulate with the uh, 
with the tournament. And another one being um, in the anime, uh, you kind of get the feeling that Ash and company are making their own game plan of yeah. like, hey, this town is this direction and, and they've got a gym. So let's go let's go visit that one. But in the games, it kind of presents the world as being open. Um, but the way you can get to every place is in a straight line. Sure. Uh, and I think that opening up those lines uh, not only creates a more compelling gameplay experience, um, certainly a different gameplay experience, uh, but it also is nice from a just from a non-gameplay uh, plot and, and world-building aspect. Um, you know, you, when you've got the option to choose which town you go to rather than it being arbitrarily locked in. Let's talk about um, one aspect of the pitch I, I think you, you didn't agree with uh, because this is exciting. The way the Nintendo Switch works is... Good for multiplayer, good for local multiplayer because it has two controllers built onto the side of it. Uh, and it's really good for single player because you can tailor it to your needs. You can play it on the go or at home or wherever. Um, what it's not good at is having multiple people play single player at the same time if they live in the same household. Uh, and this was this was a problem that we we dealt with and we didn't... I don't think we came to a solution that felt extraordinarily elegant, but we did come to a solution, um, which was to put it, uh, to, to just have the game run two different single player campaigns in split screen mode. Yeah, I think that, so so the, the problem, let's identify in, in clear terms what the problem is, is that I think that Pokemon at its greatest strength uh is a social experience right um definitely and and when and and the thing is that the nintendo switch sort of requires you to change the way the game is structured um and i think it possibly requires you to change it for the worst because in in the previous years you know in the in the previous games if you lived in one household, but you had three children, which would describe my household growing up, uh, it was very feasible uh, for an, a household of average income to be able to give each child their own Game Boy and their own copy of Pokemon. Uh, and that became a social experience where we each could have our own single player experience um, and then obviously connect to each other with the multiplayer social experience, battling and trading. Um, now flash forward to the Switch and and, and, and another counter, another example would be uh, we talked about um, a friend, a mutual acquaintance of ours, Milo, described the exact same concern as it relates to him and his wife. Right. So it's not just siblings, it would be significant others, anyone who shares a household, they are used to being able to play Pokemon where each individual player has their own copy of the game and their own profile. And that really doesn't seem feasible uh, on the Nintendo Switch. It, it, it seems 
odd to expect or even promote the idea of a single household owning multiple systems, multiple consoles of the Nintendo Switch. So the interesting thing with the Switch dock is that it allows the player to just pull one Switch console out and put another Switch console in pretty easily. So depending on whether or not there's a price drop in the next year or so, or if it just is changed the way that it's seen by people, it it could be that each kid has their own Switch and they have one dock plugged into the TV and that's just how they use it. But it it really isn't that right now, at least. Uh, and it would be weird to see it like that, but maybe that's just because... We're basing it off of how we've used consoles for like 30 years and it's going to be different. Right. Um, So let's look at it like this. Uh, When a Game Boy Color launched in uh, in the late 90s, you could buy a Game Boy Color for about $100 in in today money, in, in 2017 money. $100. Really? Yes, it was. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it released at the low sum in the summer of '98 for $69.99, which cost $100 in today's inflation rate. That's pretty so incredible. So $100, $100 for a console, and of course, uh, cartridges for a portable console cost significantly less than you know than p- paying for a, a game for a home console. Maybe $30 compared to $60. Now, you fast forward to now and you compare it to the Switch. It it seems to me pretty steep to expect a single household to spend, rather than $100 of today money for each child, um, you know, $250 if the Switch got a price drop. Um, So so that that goes back to the question. I'm trying to imagine the scenario where I'm a child as I was in the late 90s, but rather than having my own Game Boy, uh, the game of Pokemon, as popular and and you know wild it was when it released, uh, it comes out, and we only have one copy of it, and we only have one console to play it on, and we have three kids. Um, given that parameter if it had happened that way in 1998 or whatever i don't see it being as big as it was i don't see my family being you know obsessed with it the way we were um and i think that pokemon is a fundamentally different experience than you know every generation's major mario 3d game or 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 legend of zelda game where a household buys one copy and maybe you take turns playing it Pokemon's different. You you don't want to take turns playing Pokemon campaign. Yeah, you're right. Because I it's mean, all about grinding. It's about grinding and it's about social um, interaction. And, and I don't know if doing split screen, which was, I think, my suggestion, and neither of us are, are crazy happy with that as a solution. And I don't know if it would work as a solution, especially when you have the idea of, you know, Maybe I want to take my copy of the game with me, you know, to work 
and my wife wants to take her copy of the game to school where she's going to, you know, grad school. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you've got one console, even, you know, split screen doesn't solve that issue. It doesn't solve the issue of leave, leaving the home and going separate directions. Maybe that's an issue you just can't solve. Um, but to me, it is an issue. It, and it, it, I'm very curious to see how Game Freak themselves will address the issue. Uh, but it's something that you and I didn't really come to a compelling uh, solution on uh, while you were working on uh, uh, the pitch. Yeah, it's definitely a blind spot. Um, my my only my only way of arguing against that is just siblings aren't the only people gamers play with and that's not even a very good argument um i know in my my case i am the oldest child and uh i have two younger sisters neither of which have really gotten into games or at least uh the same kinds of games that i have so most of my multiplayer gaming experience is with friends at like going over to a friend's house and playing their games. And in that case, we would each have our own switch, uh, which is good. But I, I really, I would love to see numbers on like how popular your, your childhood version of it is versus mine. Um, I think it would be good to see numbers because, you know, and and I think what's the, what's that whole statistic? uh, Like the average household in America has, you know, two, two and a half kids. So right. obviously, you know, the half kid can't play because he only has one arm. Sure. The The other two aren't always going to be both interested in playing Pokemon. Um, but I, I do think it's a non-negligible market that, that uh, it, it, it's hard for me to imagine how, if I was a parent right now, how I would solve the problem trying to allow both of two children uh, to experience, you know, the experience that Pokemon is, you, you pretty much have to say like, all right, well, you know, you get to play for an hour and then you get to play for an hour. And Pokemon is one of those games you don't want to put down, you know? And, and yeah, you, you don't want to play wanna... it for an hour. You want because... to play it for like four hours at once. Right. It, it's not like, uh, Mario or a Zelda where you have sort of a finite challenge like a level to mm-hmm. beat or a dungeon to beat um, you know Mario just you know just one more level and I'll stop with Pokemon you have a lot of micro achievements it's all about gaining experience leveling up um, it, and so it's like you, you don't want to stop you have a lot of micro achievements along the way that are you're working towards macro uh, goals it, it's and and when you have two kids sitting and playing at the same time in the same room, it's it's fun because you're you're talking about like you're sharing a social aspect of it. Um, so now when I say to kid A, uh, your turn is over. Now kid B gets to play for only an hour, uh, and and I don't want to have to step in and enforce that because you know I'm a I'm a parent, which is to say that parenting isn't something i care about doing i want both of my kids i want both of my kids to be able to just play their games that way i don't have to engage with them and 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 police their actions um 
I don't know. It's tricky because if you're really, really young, if the kids are really, really young, I don't think this is that much of an issue. Um, Each one can, or one of them can play and the other can watch, and I think that's fine. If you're like in your in your teenage years, I also don't think that's much of an issue because then you start doing things like, uh, like you can get a a part time job after high school and uh, maybe maybe you can get your own money for a switch and maybe that's feasible for you. Um, it, it's tricky because it's a subsection of kids during a subsection of their years, but also those kids are the primary demographic of Pokemon. So it's, yeah, it's really right. tough. Well, it, it, and here's the way to think of it too. Um, if you're in household a, I say it's my household, the, the Jeff Onan household, um, as I'm a child, and there are three children who all would like to play Pokemon. You should probably clarify bre- that you're not actually a child, because I, right. I don't think our listeners it, know this is This is the hypothetical. So okay. I, I am currently a 24-year-old adult man, but in the scenario I'm describing, say my childhood household uh, from 1998 mm-hmm. has three children in it, and... Uh, there is a brand new game out called Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue, uh, Pokemon Gold, Pokemon Silver, whatever. And that game is super, super popular. And when I go to school tomorrow, every single kid who I talk to is going to talk about how they are playing that game and what their progress is and what is going on. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to go home and in, in my household, I'm going to fight for time to progress my adventure with two siblings. Now, at the same time, right next door is household B. And in household B, Mitch and his sisters are also uh, also are a household that own a Nintendo Switch with a copy of Pokemon Champions. And in that household, Mitch is the only one that wants to play Pokemon. And he is just having a blast. And then we go to school tomorrow, and Mitch and I are in the same class, and Mitch is, like, you know, a third of the way through the game, and I am just at the first eighth of the game. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being blue-balled here, you know? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. dividing my time in the game with my siblings, but my peers at school aren't necessarily having the same conflict. And I want to take my Switch to school and play with Mitch, but Mitch is going to kick my ass because I, you know, I, I'm not getting the same experience out of it. He is. It, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's a tough scenario because what we have to do is take, uh, the entire way that, that Pokemon has been structured for as long as Pokemon has been around. Doesn't really translate to the hardware. Yeah. Um, um if, if I can make a comparison, I think Nintendo tried to get into this cooperative play whole whole thing in their single-player games with Super Mario 3D World for the Wii U. And now the next 3D Mario game is coming out, Super Mario Odyssey, and it has a much smaller focus on cooperative play. Uh, and I, I, I guess I, I gotta just take that as a sign that Nintendo's not concerned about it. Uh, 
because that's like all I can do. I really don't have a solution for this. Um, if if you do split screen, the only one player could play their music, or you both play your music and it sounds awful, or you um, what else could you do? Or what else is an issue? Uh, one player could be just way further and, and be showing the other player spoilers on their half of the screen. Uh, and you can't really do that in portable mode because the two halves of the screen would be too small. It's a whole thing. Um, if I got if I ran a survey and I got numbers back saying that this crowd of people is like way bigger than you think it is by percentage... I would probably include the split screen mode as just like just because I'd have to, but it's really not optimal. Right. Yeah. And, and here's the the this this is where we get to a point where you have to wonder if there is a solution that maybe you and I are just not smart enough to come up with because we don't make video games. I mean, it sounds like it's but, on the but, hardware but here's re- the thing. level, right? It it is it is it is a situation that I don't think has ever been solved in gaming, has never been this style of problem. So if there is a solution, if somebody at Game Freak or at Nintendo does come up with a compelling solution to this, it will be an incredibly innovative idea, and I will not feel embarrassed for not having thought of it, because it hasn't been done before. We, we both agree that this is a, a problem that maybe doesn't have a solution. Right. Um... I think it'd be on the hardware level. It'd be like if each of the Joy-Cons had a half of the screen that was attached to them. Um, or something like that. That's the only thing I could come up with. Um, and, and, and this is this is the trade-off when you go from the 3DS to the Nintendo Switch. I think the Nintendo Switch is better in like 97 out of 100 ways. But those three ways matter. And price right, is right. one of Having- them. And- yeah. yeah, you know, I think that being able to have a personal console is is uh, compelling for a lot of households, and it's not just young children at a certain point of their childhood. Um, we we discussed spouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who shares a household with someone else uh, pretty much expects to share a Nintendo Switch, but certain types of social gaming experiences uh, only work when the individuals have their own piece of hardware. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, if you're listening to this and you read the read the sw- the um, if you read the pitch and you're listening to this conversation and you have a solution, uh, I'm sure we'd like to hear it. Email because... podcast at superjump.online. That's the that's the podcast uh, contact line. Podcast yeah, at definitely... superjump.online. Because that is a that is a you know, I, I, I'm sure there's some creative out, people out there who have a better idea than just having a split screen mode. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. It, it, if there's a really good solution to it, I definitely don't have it. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to talk about Cameron Regal's art that he did for the article. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, so I, I commissioned some art from Cameron, and I basically said... Uh, why don't you take a look at the article? Basically, what I'm thinking right now is is a send off or a send up of uh, the Pokemon Stadium box art from the first Pokemon Stadium that was released in America, the American box art of it. And basically, it's a stadium with an organized Pokemon battle in the middle, 
And the fact that it wasn't just like a wild Pokemon battle, it was like an organized contest was it really appealing to me because that's what the game's about um, between a Charizard and a Blastoise. And there were flags in the background with pictures of Pokeballs because I guess they're rooting for Pokeball. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I, I just like the box art. So I told Cameron, hey, what if you did this, but, um, you know, it, it's vertical instead of horizontal because the Nintendo Switch box arts are that way and Nintendo 64 box arts were horizontal. Uh, it's vertical instead of horizontal it still has Blastoise and Charizard, but it they're mega evolved to show that like this is a, a bigger version of that. And the, the flags in the audience aren't rooting for Pokeball anymore. Now they're rooting for different teams, uh, the Pokemon Go teams, because that's who they would be rooting for in the audience, uh, one team or another. And Cameron just like aced it, man. He came back and he, he drew some art and... Uh, it, it, I love it. He he really brought the characters to life, especially Mega Blastoise. Um, it just looks like official Pokemon key art. Yeah, yeah. Cameron is one of the low-key like, best artists uh, that I know on the online community. And uh, from what the art you shared with me is fantastic. Yeah. Um, any Any other little things to talk about? Because yeah, well, I guess or just just sort of a clerical thing is is to describe real quick to the audience uh, what exactly our uh, our process was when we discussed the pitch and how I helped you. Um, I don't think we really described uh, what that was and uh, what and what that was was um, you and I did a series of audio conversations. Mm-hmm. Just like this one, um, we did five, right? Yeah, we did five, five hour or hour and a half long conversations. Uh, that I originally we did record them. I originally wanted it to be like a podcast series, um, but when, when I was listening back to them, I realized this is great for me now. Listening back, this is like audio notes. Um, but I don't know how great it is going to be for for everyone else uh, listening to it as a podcast. So we ended up not releasing that because it, it, it was a little too cool, uh, colloquial, a little too just not interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, I was happy to 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 be able to participate in that, and uh, we kind of split it up. We spent you know sit down and and spend one session just discussing a core battle mechanics and and other mechanics and and here's a session just describing you know the the uh progression the progression structure of the campaign and mm-hmm. and the tournament and everything and and i it was a lot of fun having those talks with you and um uh obviously uh a five or eight hour probably probably eight hour long yeah between um, five and eight you know, obviously, an eight-hour-long audio serial on the the making of a <laughs> written of a single article yeah. <laughs> is a little a little overkill, but I'm glad we did it. And uh, uh, so, but just that was just you know, I, I I felt it was good to give the context to the audience of what my participation was in in your project. Um, 
this is, you know, this was a Mitch project through and through, but, but, uh, he, he asked me to step in for a series of those conversations and, and that kind of, uh, guided the, the direction that he took some of the ideas he had. I think you're underselling so, yourself a little bit, but don't worry, Jeff, I'll take the credit and I'll also take <laughs> you, the audience away on a, an adventure nope i'm gonna cut this out i'm gonna cut this straight out i <laughs> sign-offs by the way are the most difficult Literally, and annoying part of any I, audio medium it's the worst it didn't matter how many episodes of the podcast i recorded uh i never never ever got good at it mm-hmm. um but you know it, it was it was fun <laughs> being a part it was fun being a part of those conversations with you and obviously i also I was really happy to come back for this conversation to sort of look back on the whole thing and where uh where you ended up on some of the ideas that we built and um and the pitch is phenomenal so i i hope that everyone who listened to this also read it listening is easier than reading i know that's true uh but please read it and check out uh, the article and um oh, thank you. you know i i just thank you thank you for letting me be a part of it though well you did a lot to help um cannot be understated uh if you want to read the pitch find out what the hell we were talking about it's called a mitch pitch for switch pokemon champions that's the name of the game pokemon champions and it's on medium.com you can probably just search it uh if you search pokemon champions i would be very surprised if it didn't come up um, or you can find it on Super Jump, which is, you know what Super Jump is. You're listening to the Super Jump podcast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, hey, uh, I didn't see you there. Well, this is Mitchell from the future. Hope you liked that podcast. Um, or if you didn't, I hope to find out that you didn't in in the very specific ways that you didn't and the way i can do that is by getting your feedback and i know i said this earlier but i'm gonna say it again just because i'm a podcast man and i have to do this it's the law by getting you to review us on itunes it's such a big deal it's a crazy big deal and people don't understand how big of a deal it is it 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 just propels you to the top Uh, like no reviews. Um, I, I'm a I'm a poor man, peddling on the street for dinner, but one review, just one. I'm already Kanye West. That's how important and how critical it really is. But that's not the only way that you can give feedback. You can also email us um, by emailing podcast at superjump dot online. That's podcast at superjump dot online. Uh, if you want to give more uh, in-depth feedback there about whether or not you even like the mid-jump as, as a con- uh, concept, not contest, would love to hear it. So thank you again. We'll be back with a regular episode of Mitchell and James's talk show, The Super Jump Podcast, the thing that you're actually subscribed to next week, and then another one after that or two weeks after that and then another one two weeks after that just expect some more mid jumps in the middle um i'm excited to start doing this it's a it's a big jump if you will in what i hate this never mind i'm just okay see you guys we're done bye